Hello everyone. Welcome to Fandoms, Culture, and Perhaps a Few Murders. Today's topic is Christmas folk stories. I am Al, the esteemed Burgermeister, Meister Burger, and with me is Hans Gruber, aka Spade. Yippee Kaye, motherfucker. And the Grinch, affectionately known as Feline. I'm a mean one. Before I let Feline start us off today for our first story, how's everyone doing today? Yeah, same old, same old, doing alright. I am carrying on. <laughs> I guess we're all in the same shit, different day, even though the holidays is right next door. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just in the same <laughs> shit, but in Christmas pajamas. Sure enough, I got reindeer antlers on. I'm feeling a, a little bit Christmassy. All right, feline, go for it. My first tradition is about a pagan thing called the Yule Goat. Thor had these two goats that would carry his chariot. And during the winter holiday or winter celebration of Yule, he sacrificed his goats, killing them to feed the other gods. The next morning he felt guilty and therefore resurrected them, bringing them back to life. Now from this story came the idea that these goats resurrected during the winter and bring gifts to people, basically acting as Santa. Other stories have them going to people's houses and demanding gifts from them, otherwise you'd have, <laughs> otherwise you'd have bad luck. Now in Finland, Sometimes men would dress up as the goat and go around town, going from house to house giving gifts. And in other stories, the goats are what Santa rides when he delivers the gifts. You know, really quickly, they are highly undervaluing goats right now because these motherfuckers are the goat in goats. They mm -hmm. sacrifice themselves, come back. Yeah. Only if you be done again. Like, that's kind of, that's not really, like, merciful toward the goats who just killed Thor, first and foremost. So constantly killing goats is not good. I would absolutely understand the goats coming back and demanding presents. You know, I gave for y'all. Y'all need to give for me. They said they f that he felt bad, but it it's around the 19th century that the stories seem to turn more positive and more, like, child-friendly, because before it was a little bit more, like, scary. Like, they would scare the kids and demand gifts yeah when it comes to Thor there's not really very many things it doesn't end in bloodshed but can I just say that Santa's ass has got to be like rock hard lumpy because riding a goat is not comfortable yeah can't be comfortable cannot be comfortable you know you got really de-sized I think I was watching Scrubs and she sat there and, and bent a, a, a snapped a food tray in half with her size one of the characters because she was she rides horses so she's privileged enough to have you know horse riding as part of her life it was just really funny Santa's thighs has got to be teased especially hauling especially. all the gifts you know right lift with your legs. He's, he's got back muscles on back muscles on back muscles and the thighs that could crush watermelons and calves <laughs> the calves have to match you can't have these thighs like that without calves you can't miss leg day and just work on dies. It's always cast too. In some towns in Sweden, to celebrate the Yule goats, they'll erect a statue, a giant statue of a goat made out of wood and straw. And sometimes, though it's not something they're pleased with, <laughs> arson happens. People will burn the goat. Supposedly in Scandinavia, they do it on purpose, but specifically in the Swedish town of, I'm gonna say it wrong probably, but Javle. For the 53 years that they've had this tradition going, their goat has survived the holiday season unscathed maybe a total of 15 times. They say it's become kind of a second layer to this tradition for people to <laughs> commit arson on this goat. Like people have shot it with burning arrows. The authorities of this town, seriously, like even though it's kind of funny, 
and obviously the people think it's a kind of running gag to keep it up like they really try to arrest people like they're serious about it they're like leave the goat alone and it's like i think 46 so, feet tall or something is so a big it's become, goat. sorry so it's become a worse version of like when people sit there and steal like the the baby jesus from mangers and shit come christmas yeah they, they set it on fire the goat's death. <laughs> Oh shit, that's so funny. The idea behind it, besides like it now becoming kind of a joke thing to do, was to, you know, honor the fact or commemorate the fact that they used to sacrifice the goats. So, burn it down. Used to. They've just unsuccessfully done so. They're still trying. Uh, mine is on the Celtic goddess Perchta. Oh shit. Now, she was around during the Middle Ages in the alpine regions and what she would do is she would roam the countryside sneak into people's homes and if the children and servants of a house had behaved and worked hard all year she might give them a small silver coin hiding it in like a shoe or a pail but if they were on the naughty list she would slit their bellies open remove all of their guts and stuff the body with straw and pebbles Get the fuck out of here that's an extreme <laughs> yo like wait so not only are they servants and they have to do everything they're freaking told and probably risk lashings just for looking at someone the wrong way. Their children have to behave extra good and do everything the master says or goss, you know, whatever comes to them and slices their belly open and fills it full of straw for not being more better slaves. <laughs> it's during the 12 days of Christmas that she's roaming around and she acts like a sort of a traditions police. So think of like Sam from Trick or Treat being the Halloween mascot, making sure everybody respected the traditions associated with the holiday. I respect Sam more than I respect this goddess right I, now. I think that she wasn't, you know, being particularly, you know, aiming for servants. It's just that part of this is servants and mm-hmm. anybody else, but you know. At least, Sam, you just got to dodge him for one night. 12 days? Right. 12, well, I was about to say that. 12 whole days. Well, here, well, the song is 12 Days of Christmas, and, you know, there isn't 12 Days of Halloween. Yeah, but, like... There, that's a twisted ass 12 Days of there Christmas. Is, there is. There is, however... This goosely bitch gave to me. There is a thing, however. She seems to actually be most active on the last night. So she's a hell of a procrastinator. She really, she really actually goes hard the last night before Christmas. Nah, it's not procrastination. Like cramming for a test. Yeah. It's not procrastination. It's when you think you've made it to the safety, and then she comes extra hard. She's paying extra attention. <laughs> it's lulling you into a false, you know, sense of security, and then just nah, like who was it? Um, like any bad guy ever, any bad guy, any horror movie ever. Exactly. <laughs> when you don't make sure they're dead and then they get you. Everybody should get the double tap, man. Double tap. However, to get this treatment, you didn't really have to do too much to get it. Girls who hadn't spun all of their flax or wool that year would become Christmas straw dolls themselves. <laughs> or even if someone ate something on their day of feast other than the traditional foods of fish and gruel, everyone was up for grabs. See? For 12 days? You mean if you don't want to risk hard diarrhea and the possible risk of death by dysentery, <laughs> or what was it? Be turned into straw? Straw dolls. Be gutted and be turned, turned into, into straw. straw dolls. I'd rather be turned into straw dolls and be held by some Amish child for the rest of my life and be appreciated that way than to risk possibly rancid fish and gruel and then risk dying within the next week. 
that's hilarious. Yeah, but that's um, she was considered one of the guardians of the beasts that would appear during the twelve days of Christmas when they would oversee just the act of spinning. But uh, mm-hmm. but anyone specifically who didn't respect the traditions of the holiday could get it. Oh, I get it. Apparently, I'm I'm, I'm apparently getting it. I'm clearly getting it. <laughs> All right, mine is about Christmas spiders. A poor but hardworking widow once lived in a small hut with her children. One summer day, a pine cone fell on the earth from floor of the hut and took root. The widow's children cared for the tree, excited at the prospect of having a Christmas tree by winter. The tree grew, but when the Christmas Eve arrived, they could not afford to decorate it. The children sadly went to bed and fell asleep. Having empathy for the family's plight, the spiders came together and decorated the tree. Early the next morning, they woke up and saw the tree covered beautifully, decorated with cobwebs. When they opened the window, the first rays of sunlight touched the webs and turned them into gold and silver. The widow and her children were overjoyed from then on and never lived in poverty again. The origin of the story is believed to originate in either Ukraine or Germany in the late 1800s to early 1900s. In Germany, Poland, and Ukraine, finding a spider in your Christmas tree is considered good luck. It is also conversely bad luck to destroy a spider's web before the spider is safely out of the way. In Ukraine, they create Christmas ornaments called, I'm going to massacre this and I apologize, pavuchis. Little spiders that are usually made of paper and wire. They also decorate the tree with artificial spider webs, which is the possible reason we use tinsel in our Christmas trees today because it's ported over. And it's right up my alley because I love me some spiders. That's why I'm excited to say this one. I feel like in spite of whatever good luck, if I found a spider in my Christmas tree, I'm throwing it out. <laughs> oh no, he's paying rent. What you doing? <laughs> he's eating the spiders in your, he's eating other bugs in your home. You pay rent. You know, anytime you find money shit in your house that you didn't know you had, that's a spider paying rent. I appreciate you. And therein lies the problem, though. You're talking about other bugs. There should not be other bugs. There are other bugs everywhere. We are in nature. That's fine. They don't need to be. They don't need to be inside someone's house. That's all I'm saying. We are the interlopers. They don't need to be inside someone's house. They can be. They can have outside all they want. That's where they can roam. They do not need to be out in the house. As long as the spiders in my room or at least over my bed, I'm cool with it. Because again, they are eating bugs. I don't need. I don't need to see silverfish or centipedes in my fucking house anything not over my bed because you know because they can I'm fall thinking, i don't want to look up and see them there don't nobody want eight legs there and i throw directly overhead it's a daunting thing to wake up to but yeah. i'm saying if i'm looking around and i see him over my bed i'm gonna try to capture him and be like yo homie i need you to be on this side of the house what are some funny what <laughs> so my sister and i we had a bunk bed she had the top bunk and she woke up one morning with a spider right there. You know, she's extra close to the ceiling. She <laughs> damn near rolled off the top bunk. Oof. Did she land face first? She, like, caught herself on the, like, bottom bunk because the bottom bunk was a little wider. But, like, see? I don't do it. I don't mess with them. <laughs> there That's weak talk. You, you can't, you can't uh, trust their grip on surfaces, especially when they're over your bed. That too. You certainly like, can't. They're, 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 they're aerodynamic, they're acrobatic. They got it all. They're nah, good. Nah, they, they be falling off of ceilings and walls real easy. Can you mm. imagine, though, Christmas morning, you're reaching for your gift and a spider drops down on your hand? It's almost like those spiders that show up on people's grapes when they go buying them at the supermarket and don't find out until they get home. The thing is, if I feel something and it's not a hair, I'm automatically stop dropping and rolling. <laughs> <laughs> Just set yourself on fire. Kill it. Well, that was something I was going to say earlier, but if you said you found a spider in your tree, it was like you just kill it with fire. More Christmas right, arson. Uh, hashtag stop spider hate. 
Spider lives matter. For my second pagan Christmas tradition, this one's kind of funny. This one is the tradition of the Mari Lloyd, or the Grey Mare. It's a pagan tradition celebrated in mid to late December, where a horse skull is decorated with colorful reins, ribbons, and bells. It is then wrapped in a white sheet and placed on a pole that someone carries in a procession of people that travel around villages, singing and challenging houses of families to rap battles. What? what? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> to rap battles. They do it. Wait, we're talking W-R-A-P, like Christmas rap battles? Like a bunch of people come out on the street and try to rap presents as best as they could because I feel like that's the whole thing people would do? No, no. We're talking about rhyming battles of Welsh insults. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> That's so good. I want to listen. I, I want to know Welsh so I can know what yeah, they're talking I, about. Uh, I feel like I should have had like some sort of excerpt of someone doing it. But it, as soon as I read this, I'm like, this one. This one for Your sure. Your mother's cows churn curd. Yo, I like, swear to God, it'll sound like a whole bunch of Shakespearean cuss words. So translated to English, I think it'd be great. Mm. The verses are known as, and I don't know how to say this either, but <laughs> pon, Ponco? P-W-N-C-O, and the homeowners must respond with their own verses to outwit the Mari to prevent it from entering the house. Ooh, that's great. Let's get into another, a lot of people's houses. You have to sit there and freestyle on the spot. I would yo, imagine, uh, yo, no, no, no. Imagine the families they spend like half the year picking what kind they of probably do. They, do. they probably do. They probably do. They sit there and like rap hard. Yo, I think there needs to be... Where, what country is this from again? It's Welsh. Welsh. So, oh, I think there should be Welsh rap battles on like MTV, and I think it'd be fabulous. I can just imagine as soon as it gets cold outside, they start hyping themselves up, you know? Yeah, instead of like, yo, MTV raps, we have to make it be like Welsh TV raps. Yeah. Or something. It'd be so good. I'm ready for these hardcore words, you flapper name. <laughs> I just, oh, I can only imagine. I think that's just gold right there. I can only just picture in my head like all of them going hard, especially like the person with the horse skull, like them just really going in. <laughs> Yo, that's so funny. Wait, so they're doing this against the neighbors or against the being that's trying to get into their house? The horse, the mare, goes up to different people's houses, knocks on the door, and challenges the homeowners. If you oh, Okay, for a second there, I thought it was like a neighborhood thing where the horse will go from person to person, but then the person did like the house could sit there and toss it at a neighbor. You know what I'm saying? Like if you had a, if, you, if you're pissed off that they borrowed your lawnmower and bring it back with no gap, you can talk some shit. If you lose the rap battle, it has to be let in. <laughs> oh, what does it do? Does it, what does it do? I believe traditionally it is allowed to like make itself comfortable in your house for the actual like being, but for the you know, modern version with the people carrying it. You have to give them refreshments and snacks and basically <laughs> just treat them nicely. Imagine at the end of the year, the one who gets to be the mayor talks shit about the house with the worst of the best food. That'd be funny. <laughs> <laughs> now, it is frequently, no matter who wins the rap battle, it is common to let the Mari in anyway because it's considered good luck to be visited by the Mari Lloyd. With that. I'm not gonna volunteer. Let some, some random person come in my house and eat my food, get comfortable, put their feet up, watch my TV. No, sir. <laughs> the people can 
have this battle go on as long as they want it to. So, like, there's no specific time frame, but I think generally after a couple of verses, they stop. And then after staying at the person's house, eating and drinking, they move on to the next home. Though it's not widely celebrated much anymore, there are still some places in Wales that do. That's hilarious. Yo, you have to come, you have to come hard when you, when you're, when you're the mayor though. Yeah. That's a lot of pressure because you're rat battling every house you come to. Like They probably go to like the best guy in their town. They'll be like, yo, it's you. Yeah, right. <laughs> let, Evan, let Evan and move there. So he gets to be the mayor this year. <laughs> he and everybody's houses. Now, I do have two small excerpts from a 19-page poem called The Ballad of the Mari Lloyd by Vernon Watkins. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to read this nicely, but I don't know. The living are defended by the rich warmth of the flames, which keeps the loneliness out. Terrified, they hear the dead tapping at the panes. Then they rise up, armed with the warmth of firelight. None can look out and bear that sight. None can bear that shock. The Mari's shadow is too bright. Her brilliance is too black. None can bear that terror when the pendulum swings back of the stiffed and stuffed and stifled thing gleaming in the sack. Midnight, midnight. Midnight, midnight, hark at the hands of the clock. I love a good poem. I like that. It's 19 pages if you ever want to, like, look it up. <laughs> Hell yeah. I'm down for a long I do enjoy some, like, older literature and, like, the phrasing, but I certainly couldn't fit 19 pages in this. <laughs> My next story, it veers off of folklore and goes right into murder. And... Mm-hmm. Lovely, lovely murder. Holiday-themed murder? Yes, holiday-themed murder. Well, at least, you know, it taking place on Christmas. The Lawson family worked as sharecroppers and had finally saved just enough to buy their own farm just two years before that Christmas. Not long before that morning, the whole family had went into town to buy new clothes for a family portrait, which would prove to end up being the last photo taken of them alive. Since new clothes and portraits were unusual luxuries for working-class families of the era, Many have since seen this as proof of premeditation on Charlie Lawson's part, perhaps immortalizing his loved ones before he ended up destroying them. The bloody crime began on Christmas afternoon, as Lawson's daughters Carrie and Maybelle, which were ages 12 and 7 respectively, were leaving to visit their aunt and uncle. Charlie lay in wait for them near the barn, and when they drew close enough, he shot them both with a shotgun, then bludgeoned their bodies, presumably to ensure that they were dead. Afterward, he hid the evidence of his crimes in the tobacco barn, From there, he'd walk back to the house, shot his wife, who was on the porch at the time, before tracking down his other four children and killing them one by one. Shot his 17-year-old daughter, Marie, first, then his two young sons, James, who was four, and Raymond, who was two, before beating to death his four-month-old baby, Mary Lou. Terrible. Prior to going on that spree, Lawson sent his oldest son Arthur into town on an errand, though his motives for sparing the one child remain as mysterious as his motives for murdering the others. When his family was dead, Charlie carefully positioned their bodies, arms crossed with rocks under their heads like pillows. After that, he disappeared into nearby woods where he stayed for several hours before shooting himself in the head. By the time Charlie committed suicide, the bodies of his family had already been found. Several neighbors who had gathered on his property heard the gunshot that ended his life. His body was found by a tree encircled with footprints. He had been carrying letters to his parents and appeared to have spent some time pacing around the tree before finally decided to ending his life. Now at the time, no one seemed to know why he would suddenly kill his entire family and then himself. Some believed that a head injury he had sustained prior 
months before was the cause, though an autopsy revealed no evidence of brain damage existed. Rumors swirled that he actually hadn't committed the murders at all, and that he was an unfortunate witness to some sort of organized crime, and he and his family were murdered by gangsters just to keep them quiet. In the later years, of course, you know, there were a publication of a book in 1990 that um, mentioned a new theory as to the reason behind his killing spree. And according to anonymous sources, as well as relatives and, uh, and friends of the family, that is, uh, Charlie was suspected of having an incestuous relationship with his oldest daughter, Marie, who may have been pregnant with his child. Um, in a 2006 book, that author provided more support for that theory, including a conversation with, with uh, one of Marie's closest friends who had claimed she had told her that Charlie had gotten her pregnant. There is, however, no official report that would support this supposed pregnancy. Well, well like, well, let's be 100. They're not going to sit there and report that shit to the fucking police or go to hospital and say, hey, I got my daughter pregnant. Let's get her set up for her first prenatal appointment. Yeah, it was a different time, too, for that matter. I think that um, certain things were probably considered scandalous to mention. However, at that same time, don't forget, these, these newspapers would publish, you know, graphic pictures of the dead on their front pages and stuff so so it'd be kind of hard to be sitting there deciding when you were going to show some decorum you know what i mean also yeah, depending on right front page depending on how old she was and even though you know obviously the circumstances were already egregious the fact that she's unmarried young and would be pregnant and if she came out and said it they might not even believe her she was 17 at the time by the way oh yeah no Oof, that's terrible uh, Arthur Lawson, the only remaining member of his family, grew up, got married, had four children of his own. Sadly, he was killed in a car accident in 1945 at the age of 32. There is a small museum dedicated to that family located at the uh, Madison Dry Goods County Store in Madison, North Carolina. The museum sits on the original site of the funeral home where the eight members of the family who died that fateful Christmas were embalmed. Tourists and locals alike pop into the dry goods to view newspaper clippings and old photographs of the family. And after all those years, people are still fascinated with the terrible tragedy the eight Lawsons who perished that Christmas day, including Charlie, are interred together with lost baby William, who they had lost uh, a few years before, Oof. under a single headstone, which bears the melancholy inscription, not now, but in the coming years. It will be in a better land. We'll read the meaning of our tears, and then sometime we'll understand. I don't, I don't know if he should be part of their headstone. I agree. I wouldn't. I, oof, no. See, like... Uh. I know it's maybe not exactly clear, but it's heavily implicated that he's the one who did it. Like, I know right. they said they think there's a possibility it might not have been him, but it seems like largely the idea is that it's him, so wouldn't you separate it just in case? And back then, you know, police wouldn't sit there and, like, close off crime scenes properly. They'd stop all over the place looking for things you wouldn't find footprints properly because it'd be 15 police officers on the scene half of them nosy half of them actually doing work especially when it came to something as egregious and large as this an entire family gone multiple kids toddler a baby beaten to death oh yeah no there was there was cops in this scene that were both nauseous and inquisitive and so probably slightly sick and just wanted to see the carnage and they're stomping all over evidence and stuff that they're going through there not to mention, it seemed like these types of crime scenes were also often open to like the public and media who were just curious about it because they were considered almost events. Right. And like, not to get into distasteful details, but like, not that there's any good way to hurt a baby, 
But did he really have to beat a baby to death? Like, right. it doesn't take much effort to do so. So I feel like you could have done something a lot more quick and, you know, painless. That's a lot of rage and anger to sit there and beat a baby. To just beat anything to death because you're exhausted. It's an exhausting thing. It takes 10 pounds of pressure to break human skin, 60 to break bone. I know a baby is, you know, just doesn't have, you know, the same, but the skin is still the same. The elasticity of the skin is still the same. Plus, didn't Spade say that he beat the other two, like the first two victims after he shot them with a shotgun? The first two daughters were bludgeoned. Yeah, like that's absolute anger. That's two shots with a shotgun and then beating them further to make sure that the shotgun pellets took. I'm pretty sure he was new. Whoever it was that sat there and did it, whether it be him or anyone else, would know the difference between a birdshot and a buckshot and what the difference of the pain would be. They're definitely fully loaded with buckshot. And like, I don't recall him saying that the wife was bludgeoned at all. It seems like just the two daughters and the baby, which were the daughters young too, because again, it doesn't take that much effort. And if you want to make sure they're dead, why not just one more shot to like, you know, the head rather than beating them. That's a lot of mess and effort. And it's not exactly an effective way to make sure they're dead. And that's just another way to cause more harm. The beating was a message. It absolutely was a message. What was the sex of the baby? A female. And the two daughters were bludgeoned. The two daughters were bludgeoned. They were 12 and and 7, respectively. Yeah, they're also really young. Anybody else that was beaten? Not that I saw. The wife wife just got shot. That was it. There was definitely hate toward the children, and the females specifically. It's probably the truth with what is happening with pregnant girls. The thing about it, though, is that for Marie herself, the oldest of the children, the one uh, who I, was... well, maybe the, the oldest daughter, I'll say, she was shot, but that's all it says is that she was shot. And then the the um, two sons that were young, ages four and two, were also shot, and then he beat his four-month-old daughter. So what? four yeah. months sorry, does sorry, sorry, not yeah. need any... It takes, like, one motion to do that. Mm. What if it's one of those messed up, like, um, natural born killers where the, the daughter is actually the mother of one of those two little girls? Or maybe either one of those two little girls? They only assumed that she was carrying a potential child, not one that already existed. Yeah, but at 17, if pedophilia is going on, it would have happened earlier and it would have been happening. But if those two little girls were hers and the baby too, he would have beaten the baby because the babies were also babies created from his daughter's incest with his daughter and that would have been something i was going to say i could lean into that for the four month old but for the two older girls the seven and 12 year old maybe it's because like if he was quote unquote tempted by his eldest daughter he blames his you know daughters for you know causing him to stray i don't know whatever yeah he was married to his wife for 18 years chances are most of those children were between him and her uh, the incest thing would only seemingly exist with a potential baby that was on the way and not necessarily the ones that already existed. I mean, he didn't even beat the one that he supposedly got pregnant. No, all he did was shoot her. Right, that one was because he would have had affection toward her because he's been stripping her. But the two babies, the two children, the little ones, it's this. I feel like either that or he had the potential to sit there and start feeling up on them and doing the fucked up shit to them too. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like he looks at them as temptation or Mm -hmm. something and therefore he like tries to 
just destroy their image because honestly that's another reason to like bludgeon someone right to mm-hmm. erase any visual recognition yeah it's to sit there and like physically erase them Oof, that's rough man and like i don't i know they said they that the son was spared because he was sent off to do a, an errand. Because he was sent off to do errands, yeah. But is there, that like premeditated? There is no evidence to suggest that that he was trying to spare him. He had waited several hours after people had already heard noises and started coming by to see what was up. So for him to be waiting several hours could be chalked to him being hesitant about offing himself. But also at the same time, he could have coupled that with waiting for his son to come back. Maybe he would have done the same. But like, Not knew that there were people at the house. How old was Already the son? discovering the bodies. He wouldn't risk coming back there. How old was the son? Because what if he sent the son off because he was old enough to maybe, like, pose a physical threat? He was 16 at the time. That could be... And he worked on a farm? They were sharecroppers. But they didn't specify oh, yeah. what they he particularly did. The boy did, would like, have definitely jobless. put up a hell of a fucking fight. Yeah, he could have been a threat. As soon as he heard, like, the first gunshot, he would, could have protected at least his younger siblings this was also in 1929 though and you have to remember that there was that we talked about this a few episodes ago about the social decorum at the time chances Isn't are that like death bowl time too well what i'm saying is that at that time kids were probably a lot more subservient to their parents because of proper placement and whatnot you know what I, mean? Mean, so i feel like he would have hesitated to fight his father even if it was a you know survival thing i think he would have tried to flee I don't know. When he's blatantly like murdering the and rest of the family, and he's carrying a shotgun, so chances are, what could the son have done unless he was going to try to catch him by surprise or get his it own weapon? Well, they just need to struggle, you know, yeah. try to take the gun. I mean, I'm sure him. he would have tried to put up a struggle or something, but I, I mean, it's he just hard would have to been like, whether he sent him away premeditatedly or if it was just a thing where he sent him off just to remove him and then wait for him to come back because then there's nobody to save at that time. Therefore, he can take his son by surprise if he wanted. Yeah, because I just feel like an older boy, regardless of like how, what extent he'd be willing to fight, he's still a threat because he's not going to just let you kill him, you yeah. know? And It could be a lineage thing, the reason he let him off. Mm. You mean to continue the bloodline, so to speak? entire family and be like, listen, there's only going to be one, something to pass on the name and let him pass on my daddy's name and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I feel like I haven't heard many stories of like entire family deaths where that's like a thought process. Yeah, it most seems of like them they have just been literally just erase their home. And it home. seemed like they that some yeah. if somebody who wasn't home just it just happened to be fortunate for them that they weren't there at an unfortunate situation. What was the stuff you said at the beginning about it potentially be premeditated? Because that would play a lot into like trying to understand whether or not the son's absence was intentional. Well they said that new clothes and portraits were unusual luxuries for working class families of the era. So they have seen people who have been looking at the case have been looking at it as possible proof of premeditation that they were dressed nicely and they were going to have their portrait taken before he decided to massacre everyone. Did, did they have their picture taken? Yes. Okay. They had one photo taken before they died later that day. But who's he memorializing it for? Well, that's why they say perhaps he was trying to immortalize their last image before. So. I mean, I'm sure that he has brothers or she has sisters or, you know, parents and stuff that's still alive, has other relatives or something like that. Possibly. So that could be whoever could come to claim the property or whoever, whatever's left of the, you know, the family farm or whatever, whoever taking it would keep it. And it being the, you know, that'd be the family there. Unless, like, I don't know if he would have thought this far, but, like, the idea for, like, you know, the newspaper photo. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, though, you saying that they were working class, perhaps 
that could be a mo a reason for why they were all buried under one grave. I mean, it was probably less expensive to do that, sure. Yeah, less expensive, but at yeah, the same time. But also at the same time, there have been times where a family member had committed a horrendous crime and they weren't buried together with their family. They were buried in a smaller grave, cheaper grave, pauper's yeah. grave, that type of thing. Yeah, because I was going to say at the very least, because even if they weren't very wealthy, the heinous act that was committed like and the sensationalizing of it in newspapers would make it so that they separate it at least for the public to be like satisfied because i'll tell you this for the the other notable family massacre that occurred which was the amityville horror was based on as far as i know ronald defeo who killed his entire family was convicted of doing so is not buried in the same tomb as his family is you know what i mean yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't stand for that shit. You're not, <laughs> you're not. Buried. Yeah, like, I'm kind of surprised. I'd haunt whoever the fuck was in charge of my grave. I know you didn't bury this motherfucker with us right now. Like, I'm almost surprised that there wasn't some public outrage. Because a lot of times, you know, when people hear stories like that, they do get invested, whether or not it's for, like, the right reasons, just for the sake of, like, entertainment or, like, actually sympathy and, like, sorrow. I see. The other thing that I was going to say, and I don't want to like, you know, exactly tarnish the surviving son's name in any form or fashion, but what if he's an older boy, he could have urges, and he's the only one to survive, and knowing there's lots of stories that have happened in the past where like a son or something does something to a sister or like within the family where he's abusive and even though it's not right a parent might try to cover it up rather than like you know admonish them or stop it yeah and so try to find reasons to, to either either justify it or try to to temper it with something else or just like completely cover it up like keep it out of public knowledge but if yeah. the son got the sister pregnant then the father might be like, I can't like hide this, you know? And any fear of like a public opinion or being sort of looked down upon for that kind of interaction in their family and that kind of thing would be sometimes motive for these people in times where reputation matters a lot to do something like this. Right, but I feel like in the, if the situation, that was the case, I'd sit there and take the sign and the daughter out and like leave the the wee ones like you know what I'm saying like yeah but like whole family though yeah and say like and then the son just being the the random like question mark here is nobody questioning whether or not he might be the murderer in this case see that's what I was gonna say too because like if there was sexual abuse happening I feel like there would be other forms of abuse and could then surviving son not speak to any of this knowing that his father might have looked at his sisters in a bad way or he might have been really aggressive with him and his brothers there right. had to been there some other been signs. signs right some sort of sign to figure out whether or not like like he, he walked in on his father to be a little too close to his sister and then they just pull apart with the sister looking at the shane and the father like what you want boy you know like there's yeah. always a scene or a situation or something just a gut feeling that's just like shit ain't right because, like, especially after hearing what his father did, he had to have had some sort of statement. Mm. Or they would have questioned him at least as to motive, right? Like, what was your father's mind state this morning? Right. Did you see him any, any weird behaviors or anything like that? Seeing your father pacing in front of the stove, talking about, you know, living deliciously and talking to an overlord? <laughs> anything, anything like that? 
it seemed like um, he was seen in town, even though it wasn't in this report that I've read, been reading so far. It's, it's, um, it would account for his whereabouts, at least having been seen in town to run said errands, you know? Mm-hmm. So when he went into town to run the errands, was it like by, what kind of vehicle was it? Was it by horse, carriage, buggy? They didn't mention, was, they didn't like, mention that. Tea? They didn't mention that. 1929, I assume, would be like a horse and buggy type of thing. I don't know, I feel like 1929, they'd, they'd be cars, but it'd be like trucks. But remember, like, these yeah, people were big, sharecroppers. Like, they weren't going to be owning such an elaborate shape. vehicle. Yeah, true enough. But, like, you know, a lot of them ended up getting by. They could have been, you know, tractors. Honestly, you know, he could have gone to town. That would be a long ride. He could have gone to town on a bike. Right, that too. I don't know why I didn't think, like, bike would be... <laughs> <laughs> But it's errands. How many things can you do on a bike and be able to carry it back? Your bike got to carry like a wagon and shit with it. So he's got to have he's got to have some sort of alibi to prove that he was out doing stuff. Maybe as a basket. Maybe. I'm thinking like a, a, a wagon that's set on the wheels. And the back wheels are two wheels instead of one so it can pull the weight better. Yeah, possibly. The other thing is like, especially without knowing his statement specifically, it does seem slightly odd that what... I don't remember who supposedly gave the information that the incest might have been a thing because if a neighbor knew some information like that, the son had to have known for sure because he was a part of well, that household, right? It was a it was a confidant of the female of the the pregnant friend, right? Oh yeah, the girl's right, friend. You said it was the eldest daughter's friend who told the. According invest- to one of the first book that was published about this story, that yeah. she was the one who was told about the incest. Like, it was hinted, not come out and straight say it. Uh, there might have been some impropriety that was being kind of mentioned without just outright saying it. See, now I need to know what was said, because it's all about context in some cases. Well, in every case, it's about context. But if, like, the friend was just like, well, she did say she might have been pregnant, but she didn't even mention it was who she just mentioned. It could have been someone in her house or... I haven't really seen her out. She doesn't really go out with anybody, so it has to be somebody from her house. You know, like, some shit like that. Because then that's just conjecture. Yeah, she's pregnant, but just because you're not seeing her all the time, you don't know where she is. But, like, especially because they're, like, sharecroppers, I feel like most of your time is spent at your house. And if it's someone from the house without necessarily specifically stating the father, though it's most likely, that could still leave the brother as a suspect. Though again, yeah. I kids though you'll they'll find a way to sit there and meet up and let it being late to chores or something like that after school on the way home and meet up with a boy and make out and kiss or whatever boys meet up with girls or whatever you know what i'm saying looking into uh, another site there was um more exposition to the first book that was coming up her friend that mm-hmm. was being interviewed for it had said that she had overheard Fanny, and that would be the mother, her sisters in law and aunts, um, including the girl's own mother, the friend to Marie, had confided in them that she had been concerned about a, an incestuous relationship between Charlie and Marie. But the girl who was being interviewed, her mother had died in early 1928, meaning that Marie's mother, Fanny, had been suspicious of the incest at least that long before it, the murders occurred late the following year. Huh. Now, more support for that theory again came out through the second book um, in which Marie had confided in her that she was pregnant by her own father and that both he and Fanny knew about it. Another close, oh, another close friend and neighbor of the Lawson family, Hill Hampton, 
stated that he knew of serious problems going on within the family, but declined to elaborate on what those might have been. Who does more than conjecture? That's multiple witnesses. Which means the boy definitely has to have something to say. Right. That is shameful. I mean, like, I can understand to a degree, like, if, of course, due to the shock and the fact that, you know, people don't really come out and openly talk about abuse in their home. Maybe he might not have had much of a statement, but still, like, he was privy to something. So He had put on something. Yeah, so there, there seems to be lots of stuff to suggest that there was definitely some sort of impropriety going on. But um, even looking into another site... Um, the remaining child, Arthur, still had not mentioned anything about, you know, what his thoughts were following the massacre. Like, I can understand that, but at the same time, that's never a good look. Right. Like, do they even specify if he ever seemed particularly shocked or, like, saddened? I'm sure he did, but, like... As far as uh, references go, not that I've come across. And again, not to, like, tarnish, like, if he was just the survivor of something awful... Like, that's already a lot to deal with, and not to tarnish his name, because we don't know anything. But he's right. putting ideas out say there. Say allegedly. We'll say allegedly. Just a cover basis. Allegedly. The thing about it, though, is even when the family was buried in the same plot, on the gravestone, the father's name is listed at the top, followed by his wife, then the baby, and, mm-hmm. then, and then the children on the left and right sides of the, the same big headstone. See? So why it's... Yeah, it, he murdered six of his seven children. Fuck out of here. Now, he, he should not be on that gravestone at all. The father should not be there, especially if so many people... Like, these people were alive when they were putting these headstones up, and they had the nerve to put his name there with their families, knowing what they were told by the people who lived in that household. What's crazy is, too, if his name was at the top, it's most likely to, you know, he was the head of household, he was a man, you know? Which, like... You sort of lose that right when you do something like this. But that also speaks to the decorum I was talking about where, you know, usually the father being the breadwinner, the mother being the homemaker, there was that type of um, status that they were afforded just by default. So it seemed to carry over even in heinous crimes. That honor thy father bullshit. Uh, well, it's all that mother and thy father, right? Well, like well the mother's name was at the top too, but below his, even though he yeah, murdered not. everybody. Oh yeah, no, that's, it's terrible. He should not be on there at all. Horrendous. All right, you guys ready for the end of the asshole options? Yep. All right, we got boyfriends, grandma, parents, or brother. I'm between boyfriend and parents. Well, I said I I picked the one last time, so... You don't want to do a tiebreaker? You know, between boyfriend and parents, which one you're leaning towards? Let's go, boyfriend. All right, boyfriends. Am I the asshole for uninviting my boyfriend to Christmas? I, 39, female, have been dating my boyfriend, 51 male, for about two years now. We live separately, but we see each other almost every day. I have kids, girls ages 18 and 13, my boyfriend does not. He had a marriage and a long-term relationship before me, both with women who had kids, and he helped raise them. Okay, so with that said, he has been lightly pushing for the relationship to progress, so I brought him a stock, so I bought him a stocking and an ornament to hang on my house. We've also discussed cohabitation. Last night we were together, and he said something about wanting to watch the football game on Christmas. I said, fine, not a problem. Then he added something about how children are to be seen and not heard during this time. Um, not funny. I asked when my kids have ever been disruptive, and he, he admitted that they had never have, and he was just saying, you know, just playing, just saying. 
we left it awkward like that for the rest of the day. Evening came, we had a few drinks, and the football game came up again. This time, he added, the kids can play in my 13-year-old's room, and there will be no SpongeBob on the TV this year, just the game. So now I'm done at this point. I asked him if he realizes whose house he's going to be a guest in, and he responded by saying that he can always go to his place and watch football. I told him that I thought that that sounded like a good idea, and he added in that he'd be keeping the groceries he bought for us to make Christmas dinner with, too. My girls and I can eat ravioli from a can and still have a lovely holiday. I let him know this and expressed regret in trying to progress things. At this point, I almost don't want him around my kids at all. I suggested he stay home this year for Christmas and offer to exchange the gift we bought each other some other day. I'm standing firm. He isn't happy. We haven't had this sit down and discuss exactly why he's upset, but I'm getting the feeling he thinks I'm the asshole in the situation. I don't think I should budge. If anything, I'm extra pissed for laying awake all night having anxiety over this nonsense. Two years in and he has to dump a bucket of red flags on my Christmas spirit? Not okay. Added note, this is not normal behavior for this man. He has never been like this before. Usually he is mellow and kind. He cooks, he cleans, he treats me like an equal. This Archie Bunker crap is new. Thoughts? Well, you can't see my face, but I made faces. And <laughs> <laughs> which part? At the seen and not heard. Oh, yes. And then at him keeping in the groceries that he bought for Christmas dinner. Right. I thought like that was extra stank on that. Right. Like, he was just being extra petty. Like, I guess I'm going to take all the food that you and your kids can eat. Like, motherfucker, I can sit there and eat fucking canned beans over a fucking pot fire and we'd be good. Not Ooh, someone gen- that's audacity trying to make rules over somebody else's house, number one. And, like, taking number food two, away from kids. And making multiple comments about how someone else's kids should be behaving when you're over that person's house. The audacity is in levels, bitches. The audacity is in levels. Like, that sounds like some really, like, old-timey mindset talking about kids seen and not heard. And that she needs to make her kids adhere to the way he wants them to behave, even though he's a guest. Right, but he is 51. That's remember, what I was going to say, too. Like, the age like, difference probably, like, factors in to why he thinks that mindset's okay. Right. I mean, at 51, he's literally, like, only 10 years, 10, 12 years after segregation, uh, desegregation. Like, let's be 100. So there's, there's some ancient mindsets in, in there. Yeah, there's definitely some, like, prejudices and, like, ideas of how people need to be acting he's around you. literally, since I'm going to be here, I'm going to... It's my house. I run the show. I'm the man. That's that, that that ties into that fucking top of the gravestone type shit. Yeah, because... And you a guest in my house. You know. You ain't running nothing, my friend. You're not paying rent. You're lucky I said we could watch the game. You're lucky I don't put in, you know, a game show. That's the game I was talking about. Now you salty. Like, it's my TV, too. <laughs> right. What do you think, Spade? I hear you chime in. Yeah, I mean, besides when I was talking about that extra stank on that comment he made. That's why I was taking his food and going home. It's like, listen, you guys are in a relationship. You're over her house. You should respect how she runs that house. The fact that she was gracious enough to allow you to put the game on doesn't mean that you can take liberties elsewhere. You know, it's you guys have some sort of compromise going where, you know, you should be happy with that. Now... If you were going to be concerned about, you know, paying attention, maybe your attention span should be better if your kids are going to be bothering you while you're listening to nothing but whistles, sounds, and hus the entire time. That's what the game right. is. <laughs> exactly. Uh, a report that I had read a long time ago that mentioned that in the game of football broadcast on television, 
the game can be three or four hours long, but actually totals about less than a half an hour, maybe 45 minutes of actual action. The rest of that time is ads, whistles that stop plays, footage reviews, and repositioning on the field. That's it. What are you missing? And timeouts. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. And you know, last time I checked, you could record the game, you know? You could always sit there and if you miss something, you know, go and watch it later. Not to right. mention, like, I know it's very much a guy thing. And like, it is tied with the holidays to like watch football and stuff. But I feel like most of the time you when you hear the types of guys who are like really overly serious about it, it's always gross, always annoying people. Can we be 100 too? Most of the time when it comes to watching a game, you watch it for the environment as well. You're going over somebody's house to watch it. You're just sitting at home. Or you're sitting home and you got popcorn within reach. You got soda within reach. You that to sit there and, and, and literally nest out like hibernating. It's like to, a... yell at, to yell at the screen or to sit there and have your voice with you like, yo, did you see that shit? Yo, that's some bullshit, right? Yo, fuck that rep. You know, this, this, it, it is, you don't get to come over somebody's house and be like, all right, I'm going to nest right here and all y'all have to shut the fuck up so I can watch what I'm watching over your house. Don't forget to feed me the food that I bought that you're going to cook. The it, fuck out of here. Generally, football to watch during Thanksgiving or the Super Bowl is always an event. So yeah, there's food, there's friends, there's loud noises. Exactly. Um, but also, if you're telling me this story is during this day and age yes yes it was posted actually about 12 hours ago so then i i pose the question that he does have access to dvr doesn't he he could always rewind live action you know what i mean right i was gonna comment like maybe he stopped paying his cable bill like his cable got cut off so now he's trying to go over her house and And watch her that even gives her more right to sit there and have said listen i'm letting you use my television If if he is definitely not paying for a cable at his own place then he should now twice shut the fuck up. Right. I don't. I don't know for sure, but it just sounds funny that he's like coming over there and pressing so hard to watch this game. It's like, it makes it sound like you can't watch a game at home, bro. Right. Like you know what it is. He can't eat the food like that at home. He can't cook the food like that. So him starting to take the food away, it still ain't gonna mean shit to him because he'll be hungry at the house with all that food and not cook. Yeah. Because you know it wasn't just gonna be. You know, she, the, the, the girlfriend wasn't just going to sit there and throw some nachos in a fucking oven with some cheese and say, here you go, fuck it. No, there's going to be a meal involved. It was a Christmas meal. I feel that conversation, or that comment rather, about him saying that your kids could go eat ravioli sounds like something he was actually going to do because he wouldn't have had the ability to cook the meal of whatever <laughs> it was that he bought. Another reason why he, he should shut up. <laughs> fuck yeah, I agree. That's just hilarious. Now, I know that the woman said that, like, he's never acted like this before, and I am, like, I know no shit about this guy outside of this story, but it does seem weird. I don't know. Maybe he had some sort of interaction in his life recently that made him feel emasculated, and now he's trying to, like, exert it over her and her kids. I don't know. It could be, it could be, like, homies and stuff, because when you 50-something, you having friends that are 50-something. Oh, yeah. That mindset don't just come out of nowhere. It's supported by the people around you. And he's old enough to sit there and have the same people around him for a long ass time. So they're all, they would all sit there and support this kind of behavior. Because otherwise he wouldn't sit there and be acting like this with a significant other. Because he's feeling real comfortable with her. Like his guy friend saying some shit like, oh, you don't tell her kids what to do. You oughta. Right. I would be like, oh, y'all been together two years and y'all ain't watched no, she ain't cooked for you while you watch the game? What, what kind of? 
and you're kind of instigating him to mess up his relationship, especially since she said that he's never done this before, which then means that unless he's really good at hiding how he really is, then this definitely didn't come out of nowhere. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, it could be because like, especially since he was trying to push to like make their relationship more serious, it is like a thing where guys in the dating phase, you know, they act all sweet and nice. And then once you're actually in the relationship, they change, you know? Yeah, it's like, one of those, it's one of those things where, yeah, they, there's a lot of guys who, who do the whole romance period at first and then it just changes really quickly because, you know, yeah, they could get comfortable and they could just change automatically because, you know, they've already achieved what they wanted. Yeah, somebody can fake the funk and hold back an asshole in a relationship for three years without a problem, especially if they see something to gain out of it. And I almost wonder if him pushing to come over her house for the holidays means her house situation's a little bit nicer than his. Right, you know? I was thinking that too. His home situation ain't as nice. And him offering to buy the food that she was probably gonna cook, that was a better flag. kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> right now, as you can imagine, in 2021, getting a hold of like one of the popular Christmas gifts to get would be a Switch, a PS5, or Xbox Series X. Yeah. But back in 1996, it was the Nintendo 64 that was one of the hardest things to get. Ooh, and that was some golden That was the same year in which the Tickle Me Elmo was just as hard to find too. <laughs> Ooh, I remember that people were murdering each other in stores on, on whenever the sales came up. Uh, what was that? Uh, Black Friday? Ooh! Yep. The thing back then was that just like is the case today with sites like eBay, there were avenues for resellers even back then to be able to get their hands on hot commodities and blow up the price on people who were desperate to get it. Back in 1996, their avenue was classified ads that they took out in newspapers. Those classified spaces would, you know, would fill up quickly during the holidays, so the N64, keep in mind, released in the United States in September of 1996 and went for $200, which sounds super cheap versus the $500 PS5 and the, like, like the $300 yeah, that Switch. Say, that sounds pretty expensive for back then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, inflation included, you know. The only reliable outside source you could get was the local crackhead. Be like, listen, I'll give you 150 you find me a 64. It's like, all right, I got you, man. And then the, the, it might take a day or two, but they'll, they'll, they'll rob somebody and come back with that 150. <laughs> But also at the same time, when they were taking out classified ads, resellers at that time were able to sell a $200 N64 for $600 by the day before Christmas Eve. That's a lot. That's so much. That's a huge profit margin that they made off, off of that. Now the Elmo though, however, was the real pot of gold at the time because um, that shaking, giggling, red bastard <laughs> was only $30 after tax in the stores, but it was selling through the classified ads for more than 400. That's insane. Back on December 19th of 1996, was able to offer a new quote-unquote Tickle Me Elmo who had somehow lost his box but still was able to get it for 350. Get the hell out of here. Now, the December 23rd edition of the news included an entire column that was dedicated to Tickle Me Elmo resale ads, which dozens were available for as much as $700 a pop at that time. Now, several sellers claimed part of the money from their Elmos would go to charity, while others held auction-style bidding wars. And remember, eBay was at its infancy in this time. I was about to say, I don't believe them. That's charity? No, it wasn't. Mm -hmm. that, that Tickle Me Elmo had nothing on Teddy Rutschman, and Teddy Rutschman wasn't that, like, wanted like that. I mean, he was absolutely wanted, but that motherfucker told you a story. Elmo just shakes like a fucking fiend who's in withdrawal. In laughs. And laughs. Right! 
And then like Teddy Rushman told you a story and moved his mouth like a bad anime. I loved it. Like a badly dubbed anime. I think following years after that was Furby. Oof. You know, after yeah. uh, Tickle Me Anyway. But what were you going to say? I was going to say, and not to mention, you're going to have to throw out that Elmo when he starts laughing when you're no one's playing with him. Yeah, I'm not dealing with no spooked out, fucking possessed Tickle Me Elmo. Next thing you know, she's like, Elmo's your friend. Wait, 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 wait. Elmo was just saying, tickle me. And ha, 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 that tickles. Why is he saying he's my friend? <laughs> Give me the power, I beg of you. I was just going to say, <laughs> Elmo's your friend till the end. Yeah, no. Now the media manager of Best Buy back then had a simple prognosis for the N64 that he mentioned in a December 15th, 1996 article. He says that, hey, if you can find one, buy it. Because he was handing out rain checks to customers since November 29th, the day after Thanksgiving, when he went to work to find 30 people lined up outside of the store for the console. And so... That's fucking hilarious. Just 30? Yeah. Uh, well, it, I think it was almost daily. Uh, a Target advertisement in the same issue broadsided Nintendo for the shortage, saying due to continued unprecedented demand and the manufacturer's inability to ship sufficient product, only limited quantities of the system would be available. Seems to be uh, almost an, an MO for Nintendo because the last time in most recent um, outside of, like right now, there's the chip shortage. So they have a built-in excuse for that. But before the Switch launch, it was the N60, no, I'm sorry, not the N64, the Super NES Classic Edition and the NES Classic Edition console, mini consoles they released a few years back that had a huge supply and demand issue where they could have made more systems. There doesn't need to have a particular chip inserted in it. So there's nothing that would suggest that they couldn't make more, but they chose to make limited quantities just to up the demand instead of just making it available for lots of people to buy right from the get-go. I was going to say the supply and demand thing. Once you say that it's that there's less of it, people, more people are going to want it just because, let alone the titles that will be released for it because you wouldn't know, right, until after titles got released or maybe, I don't remember. Not. Well, no, they, uh, for, for them. Titles. There was enough titles on the American market, the very least, for the 64. I like that. Was Goldeneye already out? Goldeneye was one of the, I believe, one of the launch um, uh, games. I don't think that Goldeneye was out immediately, but they didn't need to have it particularly because they had Super Mario 64 was one of the launch titles, and you know how big that game was. Yeah. Mario in 3D. Nobody had ever seen it before. No kidding. I was just going to ask, too, like, how much did it cost to do a classified ad? Uh, I think it said $70 a pop. $70? Mm-hmm. Especially if you were doing it daily. Because I was going to say, you have to definitely charge to make enough of a return on that. Mm-hmm. How, however much it cost, it would be in the paper for a few days. And then, you know, I'm sure that because, you know, newspapers were the main medium to get your ads and whatnot at the time, you would have came across anything if you were trying to look for, hey, where or when will the next time uh, Tickle Me Elmo or N64 would be available. I got mine through one of my, like, after-school program mentors who had two, and he had asked me if I wanted to, you know, buy one because I happened to be at his house one day. So I was like, yeah, buy one. So I ended up coming back home with it. (laughs) A Tickle Me Elmo? Sure. It was a a Tickle Me N64. Mm-hmm. I, I, I laughed all the way home with that shit. Oh, you lucky bastard. Yeah, and I, I remember sitting there, you know, killing my friends in, in Goldeneye with a golden gun and hiding out you know, through, inside the wall. 
Whenever we, my favorite. when we were in the caves, that that was that was my area. My friends already knew. Oh shit, you know, because I'd be sitting there in the dark, lying in wait. I see. Mine was the secret room in the hedge maze. There was a gun that had a counter on it. It was one of the only ones that had a, t- a large counter on the top of it. Yeah. I would find that gun first and then head to my hidey hole. It just pop out, pop, 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 pop back in. Playing with the the golden gun was always fun because we would have the golden gun be the only weapon that you can grab. And that shit would be placed in the middle of the map, and we'd all be starting at like four corners of the same map, and we all have to rush to try to get our hands on it first. <laughs> and you know, sometimes it'd be funny too, because some of us would get to it right at the same time, but somebody might be a little bit too quicker, you know, quick for that, and then we just chop them in the neck, because uh, you only had those chops. <laughs> you remember? Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. You had those chops, and you know, the golden gun was a one-shot, one-kill thing. Oh, that's so funny. I remember that? Did anyone ever use odd job? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. We actually oh, had yeah. rules where you couldn't use odd jobs. It was like no, no odd jobs because that fucker is so short that yeah, you know you know. couldn't get a hand on him unless you looked down. And by then he'd already fucked up your knees. <laughs> <laughs> I think there was a setting in which you could turn off odd job. Actually, that's how much they knew in advance people were going to abuse this person. I still think it's funny that you say by the time you look down, it's too late. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, you only had. Remember, you're using the joystick, okay? So you can do you can do a 360 and 180 degree turn. When you're playing with four players, your screen is limited. You know you only have one section of that TV. And oh yeah, 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 yeah. People definitely looked at each other's screens, but I'll tell you this though: even even with that, if we were playing and we didn't set the odd job rule in advance, I tell you. Again, with the joystick, you're doing the 360 or 180 degree turn. And you wouldn't see that fucker coming until you saw maybe a glimpse of the bowler hat right when it was coming at you. So, you know, that's, it's like you seeing a shark fin. It was already over. It was right in front of you. You just hear scurrying, just scurrying in a little bit of a hat. And I think it was mute. So, you know, you didn't even hear it coming. Yeah, you know your character would collapse knee first. So you saw his little tuxedo right when you dropped to the ground. And then that screen went red because blood dripped down it. It was so good. But that concludes our holiday episode. Thank you all for listening, and we hope you guys have a very Merry Christmas, and we will see you before the turn of the new year. Bye, guys. Happy Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, just to cover all the bases. And from the Grinch, I hope you're all miserable. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all stay safe. Thank you for listening.